Hope you're all going well. Um, this is uh, the second week we've done things uh, from home for us and I uh, hope that uh, you're all at peace in uh, isolation. Even in isolation, God's still with us and uh, he's still blessing us. And uh, we just pray that through this time that you'll know his presence with you. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray that uh, you would teach us uh, of your ways and that through your word that you would show us uh, how we can live uh, more peacefully and more joyfully in, uh, in times that are increasingly difficult and different to what we've experienced. And I pray, Father, that we would know your blessing as, uh, as through this time. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight uh, I'm reading a passage that you all know well. Uh, this one is from Luke chapter 8 verse 22 uh, where Jesus calms the storm. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat and set out. As they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke Jesus, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm, the storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? he asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water. And they obey him. As we look at this passage, um, I'm going to be thinking about what uh, we heard Jody and I through our readings this week from uh, Martin Lloyd Jones about something he called the trial of faith, or in another way of putting it, is the proving of faith. Because faith is, is at the heart of this story. Jesus said to them, "Where is your faith?" The proving of faith, or the trial of faith, or the test of faith, is not really God saying to us, uh, gee, I hope you're going to pass or fail. You'll find out what mark you get, like a NAPLAN test. But actually, it is for, it's good for our good that our faith is, is tried and tested. We talked a little bit about that uh, last week. Because it's actually, I don't know if you've ever thought this, but it's actually a really encouraging thing when you actually find out that you do have faith. When you see your faith in action and you see it working out in a way that, that helps you in life, it's actually good for us. So through the trial and the testing of faith, we actually, well, we actually get more faith. So now what we're not talking about here is really the... Um, Say what you call saving faith. It's not talking about when we get saved or when we become Christians, because you see, these disciples uh, they were followers of Jesus, and uh, and he said to them, "Where's your faith?" In one sense, he was saying to them, as as Christians or as followers of Jesus, as they were now at, at that time, he he wasn't. He was saying, "You shouldn't be terrified like this." You shouldn't live in this terror and absolute fear and be overcome in your life by anything. 
And, and I think that's an important word for us in our times. We, we are careful and uh, we want to love our neighbours and do everything uh, as careful as we can with regard to the sickness, the virus that's going around. But we actually, we're not going to live in terror. We're not going to live in that, uh, that fear where, where we're yeah, just all consumed and we have uh, kind of no hope. And um, so it, that's not how Christians deal with uh, things. They don't live in that terror. That's not actually the right way for a Christian to be. So an interesting thing is that Jesus, I mean, he, he, he knows all things. And he actually allows the disciples to go through this trial of faith. He, he could have stopped them, but he went to sleep instead. And often along with trials and hardships that we face, and faith, it's faith, not we don't faith them, we face them in our life, we sometimes are forced to ask a question because God seems not to be concerned with what we're going through. Um, they, the disciples said, don't you care? that we're all going to die. Um, they thought Jesus was going to die too. They thought the boat was going to sink, and that was the end of them all. Um, and so if you don't uh, do something, we're all going to die. Now, sometimes it appears even in our lives that, you know, we, we sometimes get worried about kind of justifying God that he might die if we uh, if we if he doesn't act as we think he should act you know sometimes I don't know if you ever prayed for something and then thought gee I just prayed before some people if God doesn't answer that well you know it could show that he's losing or that he's not faithful or maybe he's not even there maybe God maybe God will die if he doesn't um, that's probably another way of saying it might be a silly way of saying it but if you don't act the way that we think you should, God, then maybe uh, your witness in the world will be taken away or diminished and, uh, and not as good if you don't respond well, the way I think you should respond. And um, of course it's not true, is it? Because if God is alive, if he's Lord and Saviour of all, what's, <laughs> whether... He acts the way we think he should act, or any other way. It doesn't change anything about him, does it? He's either he's either real and he's true and he's alive, or he's not. And his ongoing witness and how he does things is part of his plan and purpose, and therefore they're safe forever. But the disciples, they really they didn't stop to think at this time. Did Jesus do all this for the last I don't know couple of years? miracles and teaching just to drown at sea they never really brought that to mind and and maybe it's the same for us sometimes when we we get those over emotional questions that pop up in our head and we we're all going to die um we stop thinking through what's god's plan and what's his purpose for this situation we ask more like Things like, um, well, why is God allowing this suffering? Why is God allowing this thing in my life? Why doesn't he intervene? But what we're going to see is Jesus allowed that storm 
and he allowed for the disciples a trial of faith and that that was actually good for them. In the end, they were amazed at what had just happened and uh, they, they, they knew something they didn't know before. I often think that when Jesus said, where is your faith, that if it was me, I would have gone, well, I've got it now. Didn't have it a minute ago when the waves were here, but I got it now. But um, it's, the, it's the stormy conditions which are kind of like the, the growing ground or the fertile soil for the trial of faith or the walk of faith. Because you see, if we know that uh, we're told in Scripture that, we, that through Jesus and through faith we overcome. But if we're going to overcome, there actually has to be something to overcome, doesn't there? There's got to be something there. You can't overcome if there's never a trial. Now, I said we were talking about the walk of faith. And what Jesus says is interesting. He says, where is your faith? It's like he's saying, "You've, you've got faith. So where is it? Did you leave it in your pocket? Or did you leave it home on the side cupboard or something like that? You've got faith. How come you haven't let it influence the current situation? Because it would be an important thing to do that. So, how does this work of faith work? This walk of faith, not work of faith, this walk of faith. Now, um, we're going to look at it in two ways, after I've done a bit of explaining. And the first is uh, is how what, what faith is not, and then what faith is. And... Uh, but first, I, I want to just talk about our makeup a little bit, and I want to talk about our make. I'm not talking about my lipstick. I, our, our makeup, as in how our, we work in our thoughts and stuff. Uh, in, in one sense, we we got emotions. You know what emotions are like. Sometimes we're on an emotional roller coaster. People say you're way down and you're way up again, and you know, you, one time you're screaming and one time you're laughing. Um, we also have a will. It's kind of like the, where we make decisions from. And we have a mind. And we're told in Scripture that, that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we told just before that, don't be conformed to the ways of the world. In other words, don't let the world conform the way that you are. Don't let the world squash you into its mould and the current situation, that means terror and fear, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So in other words, something's got to go on in your head. In another place, or in lots of places, Paul talks about, and Peter, growing in the knowledge of Christ. In other words, it's something which we can learn, which is taught to us by the Holy Spirit, after we've had that initial saving faith, when we've believed. And so our minds are important. If we live life just out of our emotions, then we'll make all sorts of crazy decisions, won't we? If it feels good, well, we'll do it. If it feels bad, we won't do it. Um, we'll just be all over the shop. Um, and we'll have sudden changes in direction. And it's even worse, sometimes you get... Uh, people, Christians can tend to uh, attribute God's will to their emotions. 
if I feel happy, that must be God's will. Uh, that could lead you to all sorts of sin. Uh, but um, if I feel sad, well, that can't be God's will. And yet, God's will and our emotions uh, are, are really quite separate. So it's our emotions. You understand we act out of our emotions. We have emotions. Second part is we have a will. And you sort of think, well, a will. Have you ever noticed that sometimes you get a stubborn person, and I guess we can all be a bit stubborn at times, or we make a decision. It's not really based on much at all. It's, I've made a decision to make a decision, and that's what I'm going to do. And that's it, and I'm sticking to it. And someone says, you know, sometimes you get those wise people who come along and say, so why did you decide to do that? Well, I just did, you know what I mean? I, if you make your life just out of the will, you end up, again, making some crazy decisions. And then, suddenly, you'll change your mind again. Um, so, the emotions and the will are not actually living the life of faith. Uh, but the Holy Spirit speaks to our mind and helps us to grow, and that's into Christian maturity, and he speaks to us with truth. And that truth informs our will. So as we learn who Jesus is, we learn what he's done, we learn what God's on about, we learn of his plans and purposes and we, we read his word, we learn of his character, we learn of his promises, we learn all the great things of scripture, these things actually cause us to have a different will and we actually act differently, we make different decisions. And as our mind is renewed by the truth of God, actually our mind controls our emotions. Like um, it, it starts to shape the way that we it, 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 in some ways, it takes some of the highs and the lows off of our crazy at times. It just um, the Holy Spirit, in in one sense, brings us to be a sensible people. Uh, and another way that the Bible talks about that is being spiritual people, not always blown to and fro by the wind of of the world, uh, not making huge over the top decisions. So I, I read that passage from uh, Romans twelve to you. And uh, it says, um, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will. Now he says, in light of God's mercy, in other words, in light of everything that's happened through Christ to you and in this world, in light of that, you live in light of that, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And that word spiritual there could also be translated logical, sensible. This is your... As you live in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of what he, he's done for you, you actually live a life that's pleasing to God, and that's your logical act of work, worship. Your, your, and your mind is transformed. And then you know, and you're able to test and do God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see how the mind 
actually transforms us and puts us on a, a solid path for life. Okay, so with that in mind, I'll just just want to bring three points about what faith and the walk of faith is not. And the first sort of covered, but I'll say it again. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is not just reacting in our emotions. Otherwise, it would be, we're all going to die. That's what they, they acted out of their emotions at that time, didn't they? So, it's not a feeling. Faith is not automatic. It doesn't, if you drive your car and you've got this, you know, as modern cars have got this traction control and you, you put your foot down or your wheels start to spin and then the car does some funny things. It might put the brake on on that wheel or something like that or switch it on the four-wheel drive and to, to take you out of that skid. It automatically corrects. Um, it just happens. But faith's not like that. It, it's not automatic. These uh, disciples on the boat, they had faith, but it didn't just kick into gear naturally. Uh, they just didn't let it have a role in the situation they're in. And point three is faith, uh, is it's not believing something really, really hard. It's not getting it in your head, you know, I must, must believe this, and if I don't believe this, it won't work. Because that then faith would actually be completely generated by us. It wouldn't be God at all. Because you see, faith is, is grounded in the power and the faithfulness of God, not in our ability to think something really, really hard. So, faith, so it's not feelings, it's not automatic, and it's not something we think about really, really hard. It's based in God. But, in the situation we're in, and particularly in this case, we've been talking about a storm, we've got to actually let the faith that we have be put into operation. Um, so what is faith? I, I want to just talk about it in, in three points about how we actually let faith work in us in our current and difficult situation. The first point is is to not allow ourselves to be controlled by the situation we're in. Okay, we're overcomers. In other words, we don't just get swept along with what's going on. We actually stand against something. We're not controlled by the situation. So, the, our first action, as such, when we're faced with something hard, is not to necessarily do the obvious. Because Paul says we live by faith, not by sight. In other words, it's not about what seems the most natural thing to do. We just... Uh, the most natural thing for them to do is to... What they did, I guess, they started bucking the water out of the boat. And uh, they never stopped just for a second to allow their faith in what they knew to come into action. In one sense, the opposite of faith is actually unbelief, because faith is believing and unbelief is unbelieving. And so, faith, it, the first step is really this it's a refusal to allow our unbelief to take charge of the situation. To refuse to allow our unbelief to take over. 
Because if, if we believe in God and what he's done through Jesus, then everything is different. We will refuse to be controlled by the situation and we will refuse to let unbelief in. Because God's truth change. So, so point one, we don't we refuse to allow our unbelief and we refuse to allow conformity with the world. We refuse to allow our situation to be in control of us. And point two is we do that by reminding ourselves of what we know is true. We have to bring it to mind. These disciples had seen Jesus do some incredible miracles. They had seen him do... They had knowledge. But they weren't letting that knowledge come to their mind in that situation. Otherwise, they wouldn't have thought they were all going to die. There's a storm. So the the first question we should be asking is, what do we know about God? What do we know to be true? What's the truth? What is sure? Remember that now and call it to mind. Remember the truth because firstly it'll stop the terror. It'll stop the deep fear. It'll stop that kind of agitation in our spirit where we think we're in a hopeless situation. Remembering, like, he's in control. That's a good thing to remember, isn't it? Just remember that first. God's in control. That's not just sort of something we repeat over in our heads, God's in control, God's in control, God's in control, hoping it'll make you feel better. The truth is, God's in control. That's just how it is. He actually is. And God's good. Remember that. God's good. And he's always at work. And remember, as Christians, we can say this, God has saved us. He's done it all through Jesus, once and for all. That once and for all means it is a done deal. God saved us. Remember the cross and the resurrection. All our sin, all our guilt is gone. We have a new life, a hope of a new life, have a resurrection one day. Uh, Remember, remember all that. Remember, you've been reconciled to God. You have a perfect relationship with God. Remember this. Not only have you been saved, but you will be saved. See, our faith, to live by faith, is to remember the promises, the truth, the faithfulness of God, and then, sorry, then it's point three, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. But we've got to call to mind what we know to be true. And we do know it. Unless we have no faith. When you when you have never actually had saving faith, when you weren't saved in the first place, you actually got nothing to call to mind. And there's plenty of people in Christian churches who are like that. Then they act from religion. And that is when they are playing mind games and trying to convince themselves and, and so on and trying basically to be in control of God, the world, the church and everything else because they don't have saving faith. But when you've got faith, when you've trusted in Jesus... You have incredible resources to call to mind. They are there. The Holy Spirit has kind of like got this huge bank in the back of your head of truth just drawing it. It it is there. So, point three is this. 
So point one was refuse to allow ourselves to be controlled by the situation. Point two, remind yourself of the truth. And point three is this, let the uh, let faith apply number one and number two to the situation at hand. Let it be applied in your life. In other words, in whatever you're going through right now, whatever it is, let your refusal and also your memory of the truth, let that actually change the future of what you're about to do and what you're about to go through. Let it let it flood into your life and do something useful. The, one of the fruit of the Spirit, interesting enough, is self-control. You see? When you walk by faith, you have, to, you have self-control. What does that self-control do? Well, it, it walks with the, what the Holy Spirit is bringing to us, what we know to be true. Let it happen as it, as it is. The situation doesn't rule us because we know the truth of God. And then that truth of God means something for the situation we're in. And it means a lot of things, but point one is it's going to bring us peace. Right from the start we can say that. One of, a, a book in the Bible where really huge, it's where there's been a huge lot of trouble, stuff going wrong, is the book of Lamentations. It's written by Jeremiah, I think. And, uh, and he's written it, his country is in ruins. Um, there's so many people being killed. Uh, invi- an army had invaded. And the, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. And uh, even God's people had turned to idols and worshipped things they shouldn't. And just everything was busted. It, it was... If there was a time to be hopeless, it was a hopeless situation for him. And he, he'd say he, the, the prosperity of the nation's gone, everything's lost. And he says this in Lamentations 15. Sorry, uh, this is kind of an example of what I'm saying, where you refuse to let the situation rule over you. You draw to mind God's truth, and then you let that change your behaviour. So Lamentations 3 verse 15. He, he's talking about God, he's... He has filled me with bitter herbs and sated me or satisfied me with gall. In other words, my life is miserable. It seems all bad. It's all sucky, we might say. He has broken my teeth with gravel. That's an uncomfortable thought. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I've got no peace left. And I've forgotten what prosperity is. He's forgotten what just a good, comfortable life looks like anymore. That's kind of so far in the past, the, 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 the awfulness of his current situation has just completely overwhelmed him. He's overwhelmed. He says, so I say, my splendor is gone. And all that I had hoped for from the Lord. It's interesting he says that, my, my splendor is gone means what he was on about before was his splendor, his glory, and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. You see, so much of his disappointment comes from the fact that what he had hoped from God, which was not actually what God had hoped. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's, what I want God to do is not necessarily God's will. But that's what I'd hoped. So I had this idea of how God should act and how he should be, 
and my splendor is gone because it hadn't worked out like that. So who's God? Well, the answer is God's not in our image, is he? We're in his image. He says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them and my soul is downcast within me. He said, so I'm sitting here, I'm having a pity party. I'm remembering my affliction, my wandering, the bitterness of God. I'm sitting here, I'm thinking about all this horrible stuff. I've been watching Sky News for 12 hours straight. I've got all that negative stuff in my head. And my soul is downcast within me. Well, anybody who's watched the news any time in the last week would be thinking exactly that. My soul is downcast within me. So I'm sitting here, where is my hope? But here's this, he says, Yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. In other words, he's about to call something to mind, and he knows it will give him hope. In other words, I refuse in this situation to let even this the horror of this situation rule over me. So I'm going to call something to mind. And this is what he calls to mind that gives him hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Can you see what he's saying there? He's calling to mind the love, the compassion, and the faithfulness of God. And they're saying, those are new every morning. They are they're just keeping on pouring out in goodness and they are never going to fail. They're never going to fall. He calls to mind the promises of God. He says, how rich are they? And this causes him to do two things, which are, uh, well, maybe two, maybe more. But this is what he says. So I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Firstly, he speaks to himself of this truth and then he says, therefore, I'm going to let this change my actions. So what am I going to do in this horrible situation? I'm going to wait for the Lord. Now, waiting for the Lord is not, a, it's not living in laziness, it's not doing nothing. When you're waiting on God in a difficult situation, it's, it's actually an incredibly big action. It is, it's not passive, it's active. Because in waiting on God, you're saying, all right, I don't get what I'm going through. I don't get any of this, but I do know this. I know your love, your compassion, your faithfulness are new every morning. I know they're never going to change. So I'm going to wait for your view on this situation. And I'm going to let those promises of who you are override and spill over into my life right now. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him, to the one who seeks Him. It's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Okay. Now, he says all of that. You notice the peace that's come to his mind, and yet the situation hasn't changed one bit because his faith has come to bear on his life right now. It didn't come because, his faith didn't come because he said, Lord, change all this, bring all the dead back to life, build the city, 
heal everybody in the world and make world peace and everything will be lovely. That didn't happen. What, that, that, the, the trial of faith brought something in his heart that changed who he was and um, he was at peace. He found peace. Because you see, if we, if we don't, if, if we want just to live that peaceful life, what we fail to see is that Jesus went to sleep in the bottom of the boat. He didn't stop, he didn't like pray before he went to sleep, just keep the storm down, no storms while I'm asleep, thanks. He, he actually was doing something in the disciples' lives. Okay, we're not going to understand all this in our lives. That's not what faith is, in the sense of understanding God's plans and purposes. We understand what we know to be true about who God is, what he's done and what he's going to do, but we don't understand his plans and purposes and his action that's going to be in our lives. But we do know this. Just because he's not acting as we think he should act doesn't mean he's not concerned for us. In fact, we've got promises that say he cares for us. In fact, it says at 1 Peter says, cast your burdens onto Jesus for he cares for you. In other words, put those, that heaviness onto him because he cares for you. That's a promise. We might not see and feel God's kind of loving favour on us but understand this nothing happens in our life unless God's allowed, God allows it even if we don't understand it we do know that he's good we do know that he's working we know he's working his plans and purposes and we um, I guess as uh, people we don't all do well Improving our faith. At the end of the day, we have lots of ups and downs. But you see, it that doesn't matter. You see, that's part of... Uh, I know we spoke last week about the refining of God. And I'll read a, a passage in a minute, the one from last week about that. But we do know this. When we do have faith, in the end, it, it, will, it will work out good for us. Because even the smallest of faith, means that in our state of terror, which we weren't supposed to get to in the first place, we're going to go and wake up Jesus like the disciples did. It might be to wake him up and say, don't you care that we're all going to die? But at the end of the day, that doesn't change Jesus' faithfulness to us. And he calmed the storm. And even any anybody with the smallest, weakest of faith We'll do that eventually. They'll go to Jesus. And guess what? Jesus will save them. But there is a peace and a joy for our lives that comes through the maturity of, of walking by faith, uh, which I think God really wants for us. He, he wants us to live in that. And so that happens, I'll say it again, as we, as we don't let the situation that we're in rule over us, it's not our master. God's our master. And we call to mind his truth. We call to mind who he is, what he's done, his never-failing love and faithfulness and compassion. It's probably a, 
it seems harsh at times, but, you know, in a big storm when the boat's got three foot of water in it, for Jesus to say, where's your faith? It's quite a rebuke. But, you know, even in that rebuke, there's a security because um, Jesus didn't write them off, did he? He rebuked them because he was teaching them and guiding them and transforming them. And, you know, that situation, I'm sure that was one more step in their lives changed. And uh, it's good to know that God is always at work conforming us to the image of Jesus, his son. He's at work doing that. So even in the rebuke, there is actually a lot of peace. Um, Their faith was proved and being proved and being refined in some sort of way as as God was doing it. I've just finished from the passage that we had last week and uh, I, I'm just going to read from 1 Peter verse one, 1 Peter 1 verse 3 to 7. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in this last time, in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though it's refined by fire, so that your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. I'm going to pray. Father, as uh, we have this constant blaring noise in our faces of disaster in the world, I pray that you would come to us powerfully by your Holy Spirit and that your Holy Spirit would bring to life that faith which is in us, that you would bring to life the truth that we would not be ruled over by anybody or any situation but just by you and that our trust would be in you in all you've done for us, in all your promises. I pray that all those promises in scripture that you would just be bringing different ones to mind in different uh, lives as our days and weeks and months go on and that we would remember you and father that we would let your promises come to bear in our lives that you would that you would cause those promises to just bring such life and peace to us and i pray father that that would also spill over in our love for one another at this time I pray that you would give us a great and deep love and compassion for those around us and that that from that love they too may come to the grounding that comes from knowing the promises of you. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.